G'day everyone. Welcome to Church at 6.30. My name's Paul Owens, otherwise known as Owe. Uh, we're going to be looking through Romans 13, so keep it open. We're also going to have the opportunity for question time after the break tonight. So if you have questions, think about what they are and we'll tell you how to deliver those questions later on. As we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you for the beautiful picture that it is of your gospel. And we pray that as we look at it tonight, we would hear and understand your truth and that we would grow in the obedience that comes from faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Not sure what your financial position is, but given the group that we have here tonight, there'll be a range of different financial situations that you're in. Some of you at school might have just picked up a part-time job and uh, be enjoying the fruits of your labour. You might actually have quite a bit of disposable income or income that you can spend on whatever you want to spend it on. Some of you at uni might well be thinking about the hex debt or the fee help debt that you are racking up as we speak and the many years that it might take you to repay tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Others of you might have bought your first home and be wondering about how many decades it'll take to pay off your mortgage. And there'll be a few of us, not many of us, who are retired or heading towards retirement who have no debt, who are enjoying life without the burden that debt sometimes brings. We'd have a variety of different financial positions in the room, but I want to let you know that as you walked in the door tonight, if you're a Christian, if you have your trust in Jesus, I want to give you some news. You actually have a debt that you can never repay. It's exciting, isn't it? You owe a debt that you can never repay if you've put your trust in Jesus. Not sure how you feel about that. It's not a financial burden, but there is a debt that you are required to carry for the rest of your life that you can never make enough payment on to have squashed that debt. But in all of that, you can actually be quite comfortable to live with that truth. We're going to look at these verses that were read for us tonight in two parts. The first part, the initial part, is verse 8 to 10 or 7 to 10, and we're going to look at paying your debt to love. And then the second part is verse 11 to 14, and we're going to look at understanding the time that we live in. So the first part is paying your debt, your debt of love. We're going to look at verse 7 and 8 because it gives us a bit of a helpful context as we dive into it, but we'll start in verse 8. So let me read that for you. Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Uh, Paul doesn't mean here don't have a mortgage or don't borrow money. In fact, that's not what he's talking about. He's not particularly worried about borrowing money, but he is talking about repaying what we owe or at least making sure that we understand the debt that we owe, the debt of love to one another. But it's helpful to understand the context of what he is and what he isn't talking about by looking at verse 7. So go there with me. Verse 7 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And Paul effectively means pay your debts. 
So if you have a loan, repay it, but that isn't what he's talking about. That's not what is primarily in view. It's mostly about the practical implications of love. Effectively, we're to love our church, we're to love our enemies, we're to love the governing authorities, we're to love our neighbours. That's the overarching theme that runs through chapter 12 and 13. We're to be people who love and who recognise the debt that we owe in certain circumstances, a debt of respect or honour or paying our taxes or whatever it is that is the practical outworking of that requirement to love others. So verse 7 and 8 show us that we have an obligation or a debt that we cannot repay that we will wake up day by day and always owe. That is the debt to love. But as we recognise that from verse verse 8, we will do what happens in verse 7. We will do the practical application of loving others in all circumstances. So we honour and respect the authorities, we obey the rules and we recognise what we owe and we pay it in the way that we love others around us. And on the negative side, we don't covet, we won't murder, we won't steal. We won't do all those things that break the law of God because we recognise that that is the practical outworking of love. If we were to covet or murder or steal, it wouldn't be loving to our neighbours because love does no harm to a neighbour. So having said all this, Paul says we are to love and to recognise, verse 8, that that debt of love will always be outstanding. We're going to owe this debt every single day. And it's a debt that we owe to the ruling authorities, to our brothers and sisters here at church at 6.30, to those who do evil against us, who are our enemies, and in fact to everyone. And so verse 7 and 8 are really different ways of saying the same thing. You and I have a debt that we can never repay. The debt very simply is to love in all circumstances, to all people. And that debt is never stamped paid in full. It's not as if we've received an invoice and at some point in our life we can say we have paid in full this debt. I think we've got a slide that goes with this. See, our obligation to love everyone always exists and never is actually finished. So both this week, this month, this year, next decade, you will always be required to love. The stats show us that most Australians end up borrowing a lot of money to buy a house. It's a great Australian dream to buy a house, so we take out mortgages. And we spend decades trying to pay off that mortgage. My wife's parents uh, paid off their mortgage a while back now after decades of trying to repay it. And the day that they finally made their last payment, they celebrated because it's significant. It's a life event. And they were thankful that they had the opportunity to make that final payment and to be cleared of the debt of the mortgage that they had over their house. They finally owned what they had lived in for so many years and the bank didn't own that property. Friends, if you're a Christian here tonight, you never get to that situation in regard to this debt of love. 
It is never marked paid in full. It is never completed. We actually always live with the continuing debt to love others. Why is that the case? Well, we exist with this debt of love because we have been loved. And the response God requires of us is to love like he has loved us all of our days. Have a look with me at 1 John 3.16. It's up on the screen. 1 John 3.16 says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Why have we got this debt? Why are we required to love others? Because Jesus has loved us. He's loved us and given his life for us. It's cost Jesus to love us and it will cost us to love others. John 13 verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Friends, we are to love as Jesus Christ has loved us. And as he laid down his life for us when we were still enemies, we are to do a radical love for the people around us. And as we live lives that are marked by love, we actually fulfill God's law. Have a look at verse 10. Second half of verse 10 says, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you want the compact version of how to do obedience to God's law, here it is in one word, love. It's easy, isn't it? It's not hard to remember. If you want to compress all of what God says to do in obedience to him, then it comes in one word, love. I'm a bit of a slow adopter of technology. But in recent months, I've put my credit cards on my phone. They've come out of my wallet and electronically gone onto the phone so that now I can pay for stuff when I'm out and about. My driver's license is on there as well. So my wallet never comes with me anymore. I don't need it. It's kind of handy, isn't it? Perhaps most of you do that. You're early adopters of technology, young and groovy, so you know what's going on. You've done that and you've, you've benefited from the change. That means you don't have to take a big wallet full of junk with you anymore, your whole life is tied up in your phone. All of, all of that wallet has been compressed and compacted into the phone that you carry around. You see, all of God's law has been compressed and compacted into this one simple word, love. Act for the good of others, even when it might hurt you. Now, it's worth remembering that you actually can't love in order to be made right with God. This is not a command that if you do enough of it, you would somehow be made okay with God. If you take all of Romans together, you understand that actually that's been clearly described in Romans 2 and 3, that no one can do enough in order to be friends with God. Romans 2 and 3 describes the human condition very clearly. All of us have sinned. No one is good. No one is righteous, not even one. So the command to love is not in order to be made righteous before God by our good works. It's a command to love in thankfulness to the God who loved us first. It's a command to act for the good of others, even when it's hard work, even when it hurts us, because that's fundamentally what Jesus did for us. 
So we're to love like Jesus first loved in thankfulness for the salvation that's been won for us at the cross, that we could never win for ourselves. That was part one. Part two is understanding the time. (coughs) Excuse me. Part two, understand the time. Romans 13 verse 11. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. I think it's true that the older you get, the more you realise that time flies. The older you get, the more you realise that your life has disappeared so very, very quickly. And perhaps for some of us that's going to be hard to recognise, but we ought to recognise it from Romans. We ought to recognise that the night is nearly over, that this life is disappearing Because each day that goes by, we get closer and closer to our own death and closer and closer to the return of Jesus when he'll come in judgment. And therefore, because those two things are true, that every day that goes by, we get closer to our own dying or to Jesus' return, it means that we are closer and closer to the completion, the fulfilment of our salvation. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. And because of that truth, godliness matters. What we do matters, not to be accepted by Jesus, but because we are accepted by Jesus. You see, godliness matters because Jesus has died to wash us clean of sin. Therefore, we can't continue in sin. We can't live in darkness anymore. So I want to ask you the question, do you see the hour? Do you recognise the closeness of our salvation being completed? And do you live appropriately? And friends, if you're here tonight and you haven't put your trust in Jesus, do you recognise the warning that comes with that? The day is coming fast when Jesus will return or when you will meet him face to face. Are you ready for that event? And do you live appropriately? Many years ago now, I ran a marathon. I thought it was a good idea at the time. I wasn't so sure when I was about three hours into the race. It seemed like less of a good idea by that time. But as I trained and prepared for that marathon, as I saw the date approaching and becoming closer and closer, my training got more and more urgent. I recognised that I needed to be ready In the last few weeks, there was a desperate sense of trying to be prepared so that my training drove, my thinking and my knowledge that the date was coming drove my training and my actions. I wanted to make sure I'd done the long run so that I would be ready for that day, for race day. And as the day got closer and closer, I made sure I was ready, as ready as I could be for the event. Friends, that is what we are to do. Our salvation is getting closer and closer each day. Either Jesus' return or my death when I meet him face to face means I need to be ready. So are you living with that reality? Is that truth shaping how you live now? 
so that you keep your trust in Jesus, trusting only in his righteousness and not in your own, but also so that you live a godly and upright life as you wait for Jesus' return. Because the night is nearly over and the day has nearly come. Romans tells us to live ready for the day to dawn, to get up, to be dressed, to be ready for action, to get ready to go. And because of the hour, because of the time, we're to do certain things and not do other things. Have a look at verse 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. See, we are to do some things and not do other things. We are to do godliness and not live sinful and debauched lives. So are you living like it's nearly dawn, like it's 5am, like Jesus is nearly returned? Are you up and dressed? Or are you living like it's 11pm and there's a whole night to go and there is no rush? Are you doing what those around you in the world are doing? If people look at your life, does it look radically different to your non-Christian friends? Or are you living for the things of this world? Aiming for the same things that they are aiming for. Living for a career, living for the pleasures of this age, seeking to buy a bigger house or a better car. Friends, that's not how your life should look. It should look radically different to your non-Christian, non-Christian friends around you. It should be a life that is clothed with Jesus Christ. I grew up in Sydney in the 70s and 80s and there were a lot of wet winters, a bit like we've had in Orange in the last few months. And as soon as it rained in the middle of a wet winter, me and a bunch of friends would ring around to each other. Back in the olden days when there were no mobile phones, you actually had to pick up the phone off the kitchen bench and it didn't go with you. You had to actually, you were attached to it. You can only imagine those times. It was so hard. Anyway. We had to pick up the phone. We would ring around and say, get yourself down to the Oval because we're going to play touch footy. And so you're dressed in your oldest clothes because at the end of the game you were soaked and covered in mud. It was so much fun. But at the end of that process, at the end of that fun event of touch footy, you would come home and I still remember mum would say, you need to go straight out the back and hose yourself off before you come inside the house. And the clothes either went into the laundry or straight into the bin, which they did on a few times because they were the oldest clothes I had. They were ready for the bin anyway. But we had to wear what was appropriate to the time. Now, you wouldn't wear formal wear to go and play touch footy on a wet and muddy field. You wear clothing that is appropriate to the occasion. Friends, the time in which we live is the time of Jesus' return. The time of our salvation is near. The appropriate clothing, godliness. We need to look more and more like the Lord Jesus. We need to be clothed with Jesus Christ. So what does your behaviour look like? It ought not to be like the sinful desires of the flesh, but it ought to be like behaving decently. It ought not to be the deeds of darkness, but it ought to be the putting on the armour of light. We ought to be people of godliness who are radically different to the non-Christian world around us. Why? Because Jesus' return is sooner now than it was yesterday.
it's sooner this Sunday than it was last Sunday. And it will be sooner still next Sunday than it is today. So because of the hour, because of the time, are you living for Jesus in the obedience that comes from faith? Are you putting on godliness and putting off your sinful nature? And in the words of Romans, are you not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind as you live out each day in view of God's mercy? Each day looking at the rear vision mirror, remembering God's mercy. Is that event shaping the way that you live now so that you look radically different to your non-Christian mates around you? so that you look more and more like the Lord Jesus himself as you put him on, put on godliness and put off your sinful desires. Here's what it ought to look like. Verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. What should the Christian life look like? Well, there are two choices we can make. We can clothe ourselves with Jesus, which means godliness a deep love for others, no matter who they are. Or we can gratify the desires of the flesh, our sinful nature. And if we did that, we'd be in adultery and stealing and coveting and acting with jealousy and sinfulness. And none of that is loving to the people around us. See, what ought the Christian life to look like? It ought to be growing in godliness day by day, week by week, month by month. So why do we do love and godliness of character? Because the hour has come, because the time is near. Our salvation is very near. And because the day is almost here and the night is nearly over, it is time to put aside darkness and put on light. The Christian life is one of change and growing into the likeness of Christ. So why do we love why do we do godliness of character? Because of the mercy of God. Remember the revision mirror? We do it because of the mercy of God. We look back to God's mercy and forgiveness that is won for us at the cross. And as we see that event where all of our sins are nailed to the cross so that God does a perfect justice as Jesus suffers and dies in our place, we then look forward to the great hope that comes because of that event. The great hope of resurrection life that comes because Jesus has suffered and died for sins. That means forgiveness is freely available. And so now we look forward confident that Jesus will return to show mercy to everyone who's trusting him. See, the hope of Jesus' return means we ought to live changed lives for his glory. I'm going to let God's word finish with the last word tonight because Titus 2 sums this up helpfully for us. Titus 2, verse 11 to 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we want to praise you and thank you for the event of the cross that offers salvation to all people, to anyone who would turn to Jesus in trust. We praise you for the great hope of the return of Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth that will come at his return. We pray, Lord, that your spirit and your word would powerfully work in us so that we would say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, so that we would live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age for Jesus' glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen.